Liberals' ability to control the narrative is legendary. Part of the reason for this is the felicity with which they capture the vernacular prose. Words such as gay, special, and even liberal no longer mean what they did, thanks to liberal machinations. But the worst corruption of the language occurred without hardly being noticed. Liberals took radical and without causing the slightest pushback, transformed it into a more hideous type of extremism. Now the West speaks of radical extremists and the radical right as things to be feared, though none of these terms have an express definition. To be radical is to be transformative in the most comprehensive and encompassing way. Radicalism is not about extremism or violence, it is about the degree of engagement and commitment that is being expressed. To be radical is to be all in. It is extremism that is polarizing, and as a force that is polarizing, extremist groups and individuals are often violent. The word says it all. If a person is an extremist, they are adamantly opposed to their polar opposite. One cannot be extreme in an absolute sense. One is a radical by being totally engaged in the mission one is on. A Christian is a radical because Christians are 100% committed to the cross. They struggle with sin and are opposed by Satan, but their radicalism is because of their devotion to their mission and not because of their opposition. But with extremism, there must be an equal and opposite reaction. Indeed, if there is no opposition, how is what one engaged in extremism or extremist? This would be of less importance if it were not for the role democracy plays in the development of extremism. If we all agree with one another and there was not the potential for extremist positions to take form, democracy would not exist. There is no justification for an election when everyone agrees on the outcome. The vote is supposed to reconcile the differences which are assumed to exist between two or more groups. The majority is considered to be the group most deserving of having its position supported. But all advances in science and technology happen when an individual or small group go against accepted wisdom and the majority opinion. In the short term, the differences of opinion that exist between voters are diluted in a sense of fair play. The group losing the election accepts the loss and joins with the other side for the good of all. At least this is the theory even if the cooperation is only superficial and happens only to what is necessary to keep society functioning. But if one side wins too often or are viewed as winning unfairly or exploiting their win, the reconciliation that is supposed to occur after a win may be muted or non-existence and a residue of animosity will remain. Over time, the animosity against the victor is likely to grow. Polarization will increase with every victory. There is nothing about democracy that ensures these sorts of polarizing events will not take place and become worse over time. There is nothing new in an observation that polarization results from debate. We know when two sides debate an issue, over time, the language becomes more heated and the positions of the debaters will shift further and further apart. In a muted way, this process is present in the democratic process. Two parties may find ways to work together in the short term, but over time it will become more and more difficult to find common ground. Each side will be wary of giving the advantage to their opponents. Even when the other party wants to reconcile, the reconciliation is only desired by the winner. If the elected party does get legislation passed with the support of members of the opposing party, it becomes a good reason why the government ought to be re-elected. Cooperating with the party in power bestows no laurels on the opposition party. 
the opposition party much prefers to prove the governing party cannot be cooperated with because of their unreasonable doctrinarism. The only recourse when the opposing party will not cross the aisle is to become more entrenched in one's own position as the government. In power or out of it, the important thing to get across is the unreasonable intractability of the other party. To reduce or eliminate extremism cannot come about by electing one party or the other, nor will it be achieved by one party or the other sacrificing their policy position to support the other party. Indeed, cooperating with the political opposition spells political suicide. But neither party has a platform that is universally valid. If we simplify the policy of the various parties and say the left supports, the poor and the right supports business, there is no true middle ground. Not as long as the poor and the rich have different priorities. Multiply the priorities and multiply the parties and multiply the axis along with extremism grows. This is the problem with extremism. Regardless how one calls for more centrist policy, in fact there is no such thing, not so long as there are different groups with different agendas. What you promote will always support one side or the other, or one agenda or priority and not the other. If it is the other side that your policy supports, rather than the priorities of your constituency, you have committed political suicide. In short, extremist positions can only be eradicated by abandoning extremist policy which may or may not result in a similar reduction of divisive rhetoric from the opposition. In the final stages, an extremist group must stand for nothing to eliminate the division between them and their foes. This is not politically tenable, and so the world is faced with the prospect of continued and growing polarization fueled by political extremism or adopt a radical approach to what has been seen as a purely political problem. The primary reason for the existence of politics and political parties is the claim that the private sector is not able to supply social goods, despite it being the private sector that is the ultimate supplier of these goods and services. The government at best simply brokers a deal between consumer and supplier. It never does any of the actual work. No government has built a road, taught a school, fixed a broken leg, or fought in a war. They take money from taxpayers and pay service providers. And they produce millions of pages of text to regulate more and more of our lives in ever greater detail. All of this adds to the division. None of it truly unites or strengthens the bonds of community. Even those who are helped often resent the charity. Most people want to earn what they get and dislike being placed in a position where they have to take charity and put on a thankful face as they receive it. Radicals do things differently. Radicalization produces specialization. In this sense, if someone is in need, we give them something to do so they can fulfill that need. Specialization produces civilization in that all progress and advances in technology were generated by enhancements in specialization. Every person not doing something useful is a drain on the community. The program of the Western radicals raises consciousness and changes how people think. The center of the program is the narrative and the terms we use. We cannot think differently using the same tools or elements of thought. The key to change is the words we use and how we use them. We have to think of radicalism differently than we do. We need to understand extremism in the way outlined above. Our activity must focus less on what others can do for you than what you can do as an essential component of a group. What radicals do is to increase your value by increasing your capacity to add value to what you do. 
Life is all about adding value. This is why specialization is the key to progress. One person learns to do more with less. That is the key to progress and the development of civilization. If throwing money at problems does not work, neither does throwing migrants and new workers at they solve the problem. One upgrades the capacity of what one has, people and technologies.